Section one of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume seven, June eighteen ninety six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Seine, the Meuse, and the Moselle by William M. Davis, Professor of Physical Geography in Harvard University. The Three Rivers. The narrow basin of the Meuse lies between the wide-spreading branches of the Seine on the west and of the Moselle on the east. The slender trunk stream of the Meuse, with hardly a tributary on either side, is like one of those tall, close-trimmed poplars that the traveller often sees among the national roads of France, and the comparison is not altogether inapt, for there is good reason to think that the Meuse has really been trimmed of certain branches which have been diverted to the basins of its larger neighbors. Its basin is indeed like the dwindling territory of a petty prince between the encroaching kingdoms of powerful rulers on either side. The evidence of this will appear when we examine the characteristics of the three rivers. The Vigorous Meanders of the Seine The Seine, after gathering in its upper branches both above and below Paris, pursues a strongly meandering course to the sea. Its lower valley is sunk with rather steep sides in a comparatively even upland, which itself is a surface of denudation. Although without complete proof on this point, I am led to suppose that this gently rolling upland is an uplifted peneplain, that is, a denuded region that was once reduced to a surface of moderate relief close to its controlling base level, and then raised by some gentle process of elevation to its present altitude. During the development of the Peneplain, the Seine, the master river of the region, must have attained an extremely faint grade, and, at the same time, have taken on the habit of swinging from side to side in comparatively regular curves or meanders, such as are characteristic of rivers with gentle slopes. With the uplift of the region, the meandering river would proceed to incise its channel beneath the uplifted surface and thus Ramsay accounted for its peculiar entrenched meanders many years ago. They seem to be features of old age retained in youth of the present cycle of denudation, as an inheritance from an advanced stage of a preceding cycle. In the second cycle of denudation, now in progress, the belt of country enclosed by lines tangent to the outer meander curves of the Seine seems to have broadened to greater width than it possessed before the uplift of the region occurred. The evidence of this is seen in the long sloping descent of each tongue of land which enters one of the river curves, and from which the river seems to have receded, while the outer side of the swinging currents undercuts a bluff of steep descent from the upland, as if the river were pressing against it. If the meandering river had cut down its channel vertically, the slopes of the two sides of its present course should be symmetrical. The reasons for the increased breadth of the meander belt appears to be in the increased velocity given to the river in consequence of the uplift of the region. Many similar cases might be mentioned, but none show more clearly than the Seine the special features of an invigorated river. The great curves around which it swings fit in nearly all cases close to the bluff on their outer side. It is an able-bodied river, a river of a robust habit of life. The case of the Saint-Austrobert. 
not far below the city of rouen and precisely at the small town of duclair on the north bank of the seine there is an interesting little occurrence strongly confirmatory of the invigorated habit of the swinging river duclair is situated on the outer side of a large north-turning meander into this north-turning meander descends a long sloping spur from the upland south of the river east and west of duclair similar long sloping spurs descend from the northern upland to the adjacent south turning meanders on looking closely at the map of the country or still better on looking over the region itself from the top of the bluff at the back of the town it is seen that the western of the two northern spurs is obliquely cut across by a narrow dry flat-bottomed valley which is just in continuation of the course of a little stream known as the saint austrobert coming from the northeast and mouthing in the seine at duclair the dry valley was evidently at one time followed by the lower course of this stream and it is still followed by the highway and the railway for which it serves for a short cut on their way down to the seine the question then arises why has the stream deserted so well prepared a path the answer is not far to seek the change evidently occurred because the duclair meander of the seine pushed its enclosing bluff further and further north until the river cut through the ridge that separated it from the saint austrobert and thus tempted that stream to desert its lower course this little fact taken in connection with the slopes of the dovetailing spurs fully justifies the opinion that the seine is a most vigorous river not only competent to swing about the curves of its former meanders but demanding an increased radius for every curve and thus widening its meander belt here and there it is true the swinging course of the river departs somewhat irregularly from the round curves of its valley as if the river had shrunk somewhat away from the strong curves which it had once followed this may perhaps be explained as the result of the diminishing velocity of the river now that it has cut its new valley deep below the adjacent upland and close to the controlling base level but the irregularities are exceptional and they need not be further considered as a whole the river may be regarded as an able-bodied stream turning vigorously from curve to curve on its way to the sea the robust habit of the moselle let us next glance at the lower course of the moselle passing below its upper branching course and following it below treves through the highlands to the rhine we find here again a most serpentine valley incised beneath the general upland of the region ascending from the valley bottom which the traveller ordinarily follows to the level of the enclosing upland it is even more manifest here than in northwestern france that we have to do with an uplifted and well dissected peneplain the surrounding region is one in which the rocks are greatly deformed possessing all the characteristics of mountain structure but few of the characteristics of mountain height indeed the upland between treves and the rhine is one of the best examples of an uplifted peneplain that i have seen the gently rolling surface shows little regard for the great diversity in the attitude of its rocks here and there it is still surmounted by low linear eminences such as the eiderwald and the sundwald following the strike of resistant quartzites these i would call monadnocks taking the name from a typical residual mountain which surmounts the uplifted peneplain of new england 
in southwestern New Hampshire. But how has the Moselle come to follow a meandering valley deeply incised in the peneplain? It is manifest, from what is now known concerning the geological development of land surfaces, that during the later stages of the denudation of the Middle Rhine highlands, the streams of the region must have flowed idly along meandering courses, with gentle slope in channels little below the surrounding surface. But at present the streams, and especially the master rivers of the region, have deeply incised courses enclosed by steep-sided valleys. Clearly, then, the region has been uplifted since the denudation of the peneplain and is now well entered into a second cycle of denudation. The meanders developed in the later stages of the previous cycle of denudation are inherited in the early stage of the present cycle. It is worth noting, however, that there seems to have been a pause during the general elevation of the region, for the valley of the Moselle may be described as a narrow, meandering trench cut in a wide-open, flat-bottomed trough, the trough being sunk well beneath the general surface of the adjacent upland. The same sequence of forms may be clearly recognized in the valley of the Rhine, particularly in the neighborhood of Bacharach, where the old river Alluvium still lies on the floor of the uplifted trough, although the existing river trench is sunk several hundred feet beneath it. It must therefore be concluded from the relation of the upland, the trough, and the trench, that the uplift of the region to its present height was accomplished in two movements, and that a longer interval of comparative rest followed the first movement than has yet elapsed since the second. But it must also be understood that the time that has elapsed from the first of these movements to the present day is very short compared to the long cycle of denudation during which the ancient mountains of the region were worn down to the general surface of the peneplain. The meanders which the Moselle now follows in its serpentine trench are therefore to be regarded as the inheritance of a meandering habit that it acquired on the floor of the trough, but here, as in the case of the Seine, the present width of the meander belt is somewhat greater than the width of the former belt, judging from the difference in the slopes of the interior spurs and the steep bluffs opposite them on the outer side of the river curves. The Moselle, like the Seine, swings around its curves with a robust, full-bodied action, nowhere hesitating to make the circuit with strong pressure on its outside bank. The two cut-offs above Berncastle. At several points the spurs from the upland have very narrow necks through which the valley railway passes in short-cut tunnels, although I have not found any example of the diversion of a side stream by the lateral growth of the river meanders, yet such a change is imminent just above Punderich, where the ridge between the Moselle and the Alfbach is reduced to a very narrow measure but it does appear that just above Berncastle the Moselle has played upon itself the same trick that the Seine has played upon the St. Ostrobert. The Moselle at this point has an exceptionally straight course, but to the right and left of it rise two isolated hills, enclosed by troughs of horseshoe shape, whose outer slopes rise to the general uplands. From the study of the maps at home, I had come to the opinion that these troughs represented former meanders of the river, now abandoned in favor of the more direct, intermediate course, and an inspection of the district on the ground has confirmed this belief. I presume the fact is well known to students of river habits abroad. 
nothing can be more satisfactory than the agreement shown between the features of these abandoned meanders and of the meanders still occupied by the river further down the trench the radius of curvature is essentially the same in the several cases the slopes on the outsides of the troughs have the characteristic bluff-like descent from the upland the isolated hills are the ends of interlocking spurs now dissevered from the uplands by the cross-cut of the river the ends of these hills that project through the horseshoe troughs have the comparatively gentle descent of the spurs that are elsewhere found projecting into the ancient meanders not only so the eastern branch of the southern horseshoe is just opposite and in line with the western branch of the northern horseshoe there can be no doubt that the vigorous moselle has here so earnestly swung against its outer bank that it has actually shortened its own course by cutting through the narrow necks of the intervening spurs perhaps i am giving too much emphasis to this occurrence it is not a great rarity for similarly abandoned river meanders are not infrequent in other plateaus they are known in the plateau of Württemberg, where it is trenched by the Neckar at Laufen and just above, and in the plateau of western Pennsylvania, trenched by the Ohio and its branches. It is not, however, the mere occurrence of these cut-off meanders, but rather the lesson that they teach that deserves emphasis. They all indicate strong river action. The Moselle must therefore be regarded as an able-bodied, vigorous river like the Seine the staggering muse let us now look at the muse from some distance above commercy down stream as far as verdun and beyond this river like the others follows a well-defined meandering valley incised beneath uplands on either side as before the slope of the bluffs on the outer side of the valley curves is comparatively steep while the slopes of the spurs on the inner side of the curves is relatively gentle just above Commercy, near Sarcey-sur-Meuse, one of the spurs is almost cut through, and is now connected with its upland by a very narrow and low neck, which alone separates the flood-plain of the curving valley on either side. The railway and canal both save distance by cutting across the low neck. At Dun-sur-Meuse, the neck of the former spur is entirely cut through. It now stands as an isolated hill, surrounded on all sides by the flat valley floor it is manifest then that this valley was excavated by a river hardly less vigorous than those that cut the valleys of the seine and of the moselle but the vigorous river that was once here is now nowhere to be found the floor of the valley is at present occupied for the most part by broad green meadows instead of by a free-swinging current of water and the only stream to be found is the little meuse wandering here and there on the broad meadows and staggering with most uncertain step around the valley curves it wriggles from place to place now touching this side of the valley now that swinging indifferently against the steep bluffs and gentle slopes of the spurs sometimes even running for a short distance up the valley in its irregular path is it not then clear that since the time when this winding valley was made there has been a great diminution in the volume of water that follows it no other conclusion seems admissible and hence a reason for the loss of volume must be sought the loss of volume cannot be ascribed to any climactic change for that should have affected the seine and the moselle as well may it then be ascribed to a change of the area drained whereby the seine and the moselle gained the drainage area which the meuse lost 
if this were so the meuse would have become smaller and smaller while the seine and the moselle grew larger and larger the dwindling meuse would have lost the power of swinging boldly around its valley curves it would have fallen into the present timid habit of staggering after the fashion of other small streams but at the same time the seine and the moselle would have been confirmed in their vigorous habit of swinging freely around the curves of their valleys is it possible then that the side branches of the meuse have really been trimmed from the trunk river and that the trimmed branches have been engrafted into the systems of the seine and the moselle the migration of river divides the question thus raised leads to a consideration of the general problem of the shifting or migration of river divides a subject that is of particular interest to the student of physical geography at first sight one would be inclined to think that the crest line of a divide between adjacent river basins would merely waste lower and lower as it weathered away without shifting laterally and therefore without causing any change in the area of the adjacent drainage basins it is probable however that this simple process is of very rare occurrence in nature it is much more likely that the line of the divide will move more or less to one side or the other as it weathers away on account of the unequal rate of wasting of its two slopes the possible causes of unequal wasting are various the declivity of the two slopes may differ in which case the steep slope wastes faster than the other and the divide is very slowly pushed toward the flatter slope the rocks underlying the two slopes may be of different resistance then the weaker one will as a rule waste away the faster and the divide will gradually migrate toward the more resistant rocks again the agencies of erosion may be of different activities on the two slopes one slope may have a greater rainfall than the other or may suffer a greater number of alterations from freezing to melting although the last is generally a subordinate cause it probably contributes in a small way to the solution of the problem as a whole the shifting of the divide as thus explained is generally accomplished by a slow migration in some cases however when the divide is pushed to the very side of a stream whose basin it enclosed then a little further change diverts all the upper drainage of the stream into the encroaching basin and with this change the divide makes a sudden leap around the upper waters of the diverted river after which the slow migration may be resumed the movement of a divide may therefore be described as alternately creeping and leaping whether this process is of very general importance or not can hardly be decided at the present time but there are certain regions in which its application is most illuminating to the studies of the physical geographer Philipson has brought the subject to general attention in his Studieren über Wasserscheiden, where a full account of what others have done up to 1885 may be found. Oldham has told how certain headwaters of the Indian rivers are pushing their divides through the innermost of the Himalayan ranges, and thus acquiring drainage area that formerly belonged to the interior streams of the elevated Tibetan Plateau this example is one of the best in which the process depends chiefly on the unequal declivity of the slopes on the two sides of the divide heim has described the depredations of the maria in beheading the upper course of the inn thus accounting in a most beautiful manner for the little lakes at the head of the engadine valley where this contest is going on the special map of the ober engadine published in eighteen eighty nine 
on a scale of one to fifty thousand by the swiss topographical bureau gives a fine illustration of the significant features of river interaction in this region a remarkable case of river diversion occurs in the shift of the course of the vistula from its former path down the valley now occupied by the nets to a more northward course by which it flows directly to the baltic sea the point of change being at the town of bromberg this is well illustrated on the prussian topographical maps and has been described in a general way by various writers on the geography of north germany whether it was caused by the spontaneous interaction of streams competing for drainage area or not i shall not at this distance venture to say but shall hope to find a full explanation of the change in a forthcoming essay by Barrent. jukes brown has described an interesting case in england where the trent captured the headwaters of the witham and in a recent volume of the geographical journal of london i have attempted a more general treatment of the same region readers who wish to follow the subject into examples of greater intricacy may find some problematic examples in the rivers of pennsylvania and northern new jersey in the general discussion of this problem we should recognize two divisions first the processes by which it is accounted for these having just been summarily described second the topographical forms by which its occurrence may be recognized distinction being made between examples occurring in the remote or the recent past and others likely to occur in the near or distant future illustration of the second division of the subject can best be given by describing the concrete case of the river marne near Chalon, than which no better example has come to my notice anywhere in the world the case of the marne below Chalon. in the province of champagne the marne drains an extended interior lowland enclosed by a forested upland on the west the lowland is the product of comparatively rapid erosion during the late tertiary time on weak upper cretaceous strata it is for the most part covered by extensive farms the upland stands where the lower tertiary strata have during the same period of time more successfully resisted erosion as the dip of the strata is gently westward the eastern margin of the upland is marked by a steep escarpment the marne gathers many branches from the lowland and escapes on its way to the sea by a deep valley cut through the upland in this valley it receives two branches on the southern side to which special attention should be given the first is the surmelin whose head is found in the upland near its eastern precipitous margin but curiously enough although this stream of course diminishes towards its source near montmort the valley that it occupies maintains an almost constant width some six miles farther nearly to the escarpment of the upland the second branch is the petit morin this like the marne heads in the lowland east of the upland and also like the marne escapes by a deep and narrow valley through the upland the lowland area that it drains is however very small and for about ten miles from its head there is an extended marsh known as the marais de Saint-Gond, lying partly on the lowlands and partly in the entrance to the narrow valley in the upland in searching for a reason for this arrangement of the marne and its two branches it is important to notice that if the branches were prolonged eastward they would both lead to streams the sud and the somme flowing for some distance on the lowland toward the heads of the branches 
but then turning northward and entering the Marne directly. The beheading of the Surmelin and the Petit Morin. In explanation of all these facts, let it be supposed that the two pairs, Sud Surmelin and Somme Morin, were once actually continuous streams at a time before the lowland was eroded on the weak rocks east of the upland, and let the verity of the supposition be tested by the likelihood of a natural, spontaneous change from that condition to the present. When the paired streams flowed westward, they, like the Marne, must have run in the direction of the dip of the strata. Hence they may all be called consequent streams. They must all have passed from the weak Cretaceous strata to the resistant tertiary strata. The Marne is much the largest of these three streams, and its valley must have been deepened rapidly, while the other valleys must have been deepened slowly. As the valleys were deepened, they progressively widened, but the widening must have been much more rapid on the weak than on the resistant strata, and the deep valley of the Marne must have widened in the weak strata much more rapidly than the neighboring shallow valleys of the Sud Sumerlin and the Somme Morin. Now the question arises, will the divides between these three valleys shift in such a manner as to alter the assumed original arrangement to the actual arrangement? Undoubtedly they would, and for the following reasons. The valley of the Marne, being deeper than that of the Sud Sumerlin, the divide between the two would be pushed away from the larger and toward the smaller streams, and eventually the upper course of the Sud Sumerlin would be diverted by a growing side branch of the Marne, the lower part of the Sud, and thus led to join that vigorous river while the lower course of the Sud Surmelin, the Surmelin, would remain as a diminished, beheaded river. The side branch of the Marne, which causes the diversion, belongs to the class of streams called subsequent. Let us next look at the divide between the Sud Surmelin and the Somme Morin. At first, as these streams are of about equal volume, the divide between them would not be pushed significantly to one side or the other. But after the capture of the Sud by a branch of the Marne, the Sud would rapidly deepen its valley on the weak strata, and from that time forward the divide between the Sud and the Somorin would be systematically pushed toward the latter. Eventually the upper waters of this stream would also be diverted to the Marne by way of the lower Sud leaving the lower waters, the Petit Morin, as another diminished, beheaded stream. But inasmuch as this second capture must occur at a much later date than the first, it is natural to expect that the beheaded Petit Morin will, at the time of capture, have cut a much deeper valley through the upland than was cut by the earlier beheaded stream, the Surmelin. The Elbow of Capture let us call the sharp turn that the diverted headwaters make where they join the diverting stream the elbow of capture. After the capture, the rearranged watercourse will cut a sharply entrenched valley above and below this elbow, for the diverted stream, of considerable volume, being turned into the head of the diverting stream, where the volume is zero, must immediately deepen its channel. As time passes, the trench will disappear by widening, and hence the occurrence of such a trench may be taken as indication of recent rearrangement. Similarly, the diminished, beheaded stream may be more or less obstructed by the detritus that is washed into its valley by smaller lateral branches, 
thus its flow may be delayed by swamps or it may be even held back in shallow lakes as the inn is held back in the lakes of engadine as described by heim but this is also a relatively short-lived condition for as time passes the beheaded stream will adjust its grade to the work that its diminished volume has to do and its lakes and swamps will disappear in nearly all cases further shortening is enforced upon the beheaded stream below the elbow of capture it deepens its valley slowly while the reinforced subsequent diverter deepens its valley with relative rapidity hence the divide will be pushed away from the elbow of capture and the beheaded stream will be progressively diminished the distance of the source of the beheaded stream from the elbow of capture may therefore be generally taken as a measure of the remoteness of the time when the capture took place it not infrequently happens that a small stream is developed flowing into the elbow of capture from the neighborhood of the source of the beheaded stream and progressively lengthening as the divide is pushed away and the beheaded stream is shortened let us call streams of this class flowing against the dip of the strata obsequent they will manifestly be wanting at elbows of recent capture but they may attain a length of several miles if the capture occurred long enough ago now look at the actual arrangement of the streams on the lowland west of chalon and on the upland beyond the escarpment while bearing these deductive criteria in mind the somme has lately been captured by the growth of a subsequent branch from near the elbow of the sud for behold at the little village of ucre le repos a sharp elbow in the course of this stream and a narrow trench for a moderate distance above and below the elbow the petit morin is evidently the lower course of the somme on account of its diminished volume it is for the present unable to keep its valley clear of the detritus that is washed down from the steep valley sides in the upland probably near boise and la hence the great marsh of Sangonde and its extensive deposits of peat above the head of the stream the marshy head of the petit morin is still close to the elbow of capture at usre le repos and no obsequent stream is yet developed in this case the change is clearly of recent date look next at the sud surmelin system here the capture occurred long ago there is no sign of a gorge at the elbow of capture an obsequent stream the burl about four miles in length has grown toward the retreating escarpment of the upland and the head of the beheaded stream is now ten miles away from where it stood at the time when the capture had just taken place having lost its head rather early in the history of the region its valley through the upland is not cut to a great depth it is much shallower than the valley of the petit morin which was beheaded at a much later period when it had become nearly as deep as that of the marne itself it was while studying the french maps at home that i first came on this almost ideal example of migrating divides and adjustments of streams to structures but it was not until an excursion abroad in eighteen ninety four that i was able to study it on the ground i had then the gratification of confirming by direct observation as far as the brief time at my disposal would allow the expectations formed from study at a distance the example of the marne and its side branches therefore still serves me as a typical case of adjustments of this kind it is curious to note that another small stream the upper Voire, 
flows toward the marsh of Sangond, but instead of being diverted northward by the Sund to the Marne, it is diverted southward by the Superba, a subsequent branch of the Aub. It seems also probable that this subsequent branch has diverted the Maurine at Pleur, and thus cut it off from the Grand Maurine, whose head is, like that of the Surmelin, on the upland west of the escarpment. It is manifest that the terminology here employed will be of service in simplifying the description of other examples of shifting divides and river adjustment if they possess the same systematic features as are here so well exhibited. That such is the case I can confirm from the study of several examples near the escarpment of the Swabian Alp in Württemberg, where the headwaters of the Neckar are actively pushing away the divide that separates them from the northern tributaries of the upper Danube. Although the arrangement of parts is not the same as in the examples near Chalon, yet the homologies of the two regions can be clearly made out. The same may be said of the rivers of central England, which are as a rule well adjusted to the valleys between the uplands of the Ulite and the Chalk. End of section 1